Christmas is uh, often a pretty, what's the word I'm looking for, sentimental um, time where you, you look back and, and you're nostalgic. You're nostalgic for the way things used to be. You're nostalgic for the past. Um, I know I was reminiscing over Christmas growing up, and the whole thing in my family was trying to stay up as late as possible. And I remember one time we had the silver TV, and I just wanted to, I don't know, like I, I was aware of the great conspiracy that is the man in red. And so it's not like I was trying to uh, stay up and catch him in the act. Uh, but I remember one time I was like, I'm going to stay up. Maybe my thought process was uh, that I, I could be the first one down there. If I just stayed up till 3 a.m., I could go wake up my parents. I got kids now. What a terrible kid that I was in those moments. But I remember one time we had this little TV, this little silver TV. You remember this, Anna? And uh, I, it was meant for back before TVs were in cars. It was like a tube TV, but like tiny. It was meant for going in the car when we would go on road trips. And I snuck that up to my closet. It was a walk-in closet. And I hooked up my PlayStation 1. You guys, the PlayStation 1, forever ago. And played uh, NBA Live 2001 until like, I had to have been pretty young, uh, maybe 10.30 or 11 p.m. and just like zonked out. Um, so I, you th- we, Christmas does this for us. We think backwards a lot of times. And I don't think this is an inherently wrong thing. But as I think about Advent, which is the word that we use for arrival, um, we're remembering in Christmas the arrival of Jesus, that, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And I think that's a good thing to, to focus on. I think that's a right thing to dwell on. But I think it's also half of what Advent is for in the church calendar. Because simultaneously, we remember that, um, that Jesus uh, arrived onto the scene, that God dwelt amongst his creation, And then simultaneously, we believe as Jesus followers that Jesus is a returning king, that he's promised to come back and right all the wrongs. And he says in the book of Revelation, behold, I'm making all things new. There's a future hope that we have because of the person and the work of Jesus. And so uh, while sometimes it can be good to uh, dwell on, okay, this is what it looked like when Jesus arrived on the scene. I also want us to look forward in this Advent season um, that we remember that there is a coming king, a coming savior that's promised to right all the wrongs, restore what's broken, and make all things new. And now how we're going to get there over the next four weeks is we're going to look backwards to the minor prophets because the minor prophets were God speaking to to his people about the impending judgment that was going to come, but then also the impending hope that was going to come on the backside of that judgment. And and so what the minor prophets do is, is lay out really specific situations that when Jesus arrived on the scene, they were situations that God had already spoken to. Today we're going to look at uh, God's message to the morning. Those who are just weeping and crying amongst us uh, for the evil that we see in the world around us. 
And then next week, we're going we're gonna to look at, uh, Jordan's going to uh, walk us through how, how God speaks to those who are feeling marginalized, those who feel like they're on the edges of society and feel forgotten about and, and, and discluded for, from what's happening in life, those who have been pushed to the edges. And then we're going to talk about, uh, we talk about mourning as we see the things around us. And then we're going to talk about Jesus' message and how the prophets point forward to the hope for those who are hurting, those who have deep pain in their own lives. And then lastly, we're going to look at uh, God's message to the wandering, those who just feel like life has no purpose or meaning. And God speaks to all of these situations through several books in the Minor Prophets, and we're going to look at them together. So, um, <clears throat> that's how we landed here. Uh, like I said, I'd encourage you to grab the devotional that's in the back so we can walk through this as a faith family together. But I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll dive into the book of Habakkuk. So God, meet us here as we open your word. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the scripture will be illuminated for us, that you'll give us concrete ways where we can live out this ancient text and ancient truth. That you'll make it fresh for our eyes to see so that we can encounter you, uh, the risen and living God and the coming king that you are. So you're good, you're faithful, we trust in your promises. Help us encounter them this morning. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. So October 7th, 2023, uh, a group of radical Islamists uh, in the form of Hamas uh, launched a siege on the nation of Israel. Um, this took place through bombings, like really random murders, hostages, hostages being held, and as the world looked on, there was this deep sense of mourning, there's this deep sense of like the, the world seems really, really evil on full display. There's a lot of people that I talked to that uh, looked at it and removed the political lens that gets applied to everything. There's just people who are like, this is, this is evil and I can't comprehend it. And then what we see happen as it's, uh, as it's progressed on is uh, Hamas attacks and then Israel attacks in tenfold. And we see, again, just as much evil, just as much bloodshed, if not more. And I'm not here to polarize us or politicize this. I'm saying we do not have to look far to see the atrocities of the human condition on display for us. To date, in this one back and forth, just from October 7th on, what I read this week is we're looking at like upwards of 15,000 casualties. This is an atrocity of the highest form. Like I said, we don't have to look far in our world to see evil on full display. And what pains my heart is that if you were to look at that specific situation, you say, well, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's an outlier. You don't have to go too far back to go. There's other wars going on. There's other uh, mass shootings going on. There's the, we see evil in the world everywhere we go, it seems like. 
But what also pains me is it's just not an evil that's out there per se. It's, it's not just an evil that's on the other side of the world. We, we begin to see and experience evil in our own communities. You don't have to go, it's, it's a little bit of a joke, but when Amanda and I were like exploring living in Danville, everyone's like, oh, don't, like, don't Google it because uh, you'll, see, you'll see not great headlines. Yeah, those not great headlines, this is evil manifested in our community. Shootings, overdoses. And then if you want to get out, like broken families, there is evil on full display in our little small town in the middle of Illinois. We do not have to go far to feel and see the effects of evil running rampant in our world. And what's our response when we see atrocities? What's our response when we see evil? We mourn. We weep. We cry out to God. We ask really hard questions. And all of this, given time and intensity over the course of time, all of this can have the tendency to leave us feeling a little bit barren, a little bit forgotten. Like God might have spun the world up into existence and, and like uh, the classical deist belief, he spun it up, he created it all and he just cast it out into the cosmos and he washed his hands of it and he walked away. Habakkuk, as we're going to learn today, was acutely aware of this tendency to see and then feel the effects of evil that he sees going on around him. Now, what's unique about this prophet is a lot of times what we see, and we'll see it happening over the coming weeks, is prophets typically uh, spoke prophetically for God. So the typical conversation we see is between God, through the prophet, speaking to the people of Israel. Hey, fix this, change this, adjust this, don't do this, forget this, engage in this, that sort of thing. But in uh, uh, the prophet Habakkuk, what we see happening is just basically we see his, uh, his journal. If you go on my desk, I've got a blue notebook that's just my prayer journal. And that's essentially what we're getting in the book of Habakkuk. So we're getting his interior life, his interior thoughts, the things he's feeling, <clears throat> the things uh, he, he, he's mourning in this time. And so what we see is Habakkuk laying out his complaint. This is before the exile. This is before they've been carried off. Um, and what we see happening in this time is a bunch of contemporary prophets, like in the prophet Jeremiah, uh, who is prophesying at the same time. Um, we see them warning the people of Israel that the evil injustice that you're engaging in, the way that you're forgetting about the foreigners, forgetting about those on the margins, the way that you're taking advantage of people, the way that you're just like the nations around you, then God's called you to be set apart. Uh, all the other prophets are promising that God is going to send his judgment to deal Deal with the evil that has crept up inside of the people of Israel. And this is where we enter into this book of Habakkuk, mourning, laying out his complaints <coughs> before God. So, uh, just real quickly, an outline of the book. 
Habakkuk begins, and you might have little section headings. He begins by mourning the evil that he sees. He says this in uh, verse 2 of chapter 1. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me, and there is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked, him and the righteous, they seem like they're on top, so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk's calling out to God, saying, how long do I have to sit around and look at the evil and injustice in the world before you're going to do something about it, God? It's overwhelming, I can't manage it, and you surely can't be for this. I think it's important to note here before we go on that uh, Habakkuk is not wrong, and in fact, in a lot of ways, scripturally, is right for taking these complaints to God. The process of lament and mourning are scriptural things that we need to, as believers, engage with. One of the things that I see happening inside of the uh, uh, evangelical culture that we might find ourselves in today is this uh, pressing down of what might be hard or ugly inside of our lives. Brothers and sisters, be wary of people who are too quick to let you to glaze over when you say this is kind of ugly in the world and they go well you just you just got to trust god you just got to trust god yes i want you to i want you to trust god but that also does not negate the fact that there are real issues there are real evils there are real injustices affecting those in our world and maybe they're close to us where we can touch them and maybe they're on the other side of the world but there are real injustices touching people in our lives it is not a wrong thing to call those out and to call them out to god and say god do something about this because here's the reality you look around at all the injustices you you name them okay There is not a thing of any lasting significance that you or I can do on our own to right the wrongs that we see in the world. The only thing that is going to leave a lasting change in regards to the evil that we see in our world is the invasion of God into those spaces. Now, God God is very well going to use us to engage in justice, to engage in mercy. But on our own accord, to just go and say, guys, quit fighting. Guys, get along. Guys, do whatever. Uh, It might work temporarily, but it will have no lasting influence. So it's not wrong for us to go to God in lament and to say, this is evil. This is wrong. God, do something about this. Justice is baked into the very heart of who God is. And so it is right. It is holy. It is good to take the evil that we see in our world around us and to take it directly to the one that can do something about it. So Habakkuk says, God, how long are we going to have to look at this? This is evil. It's ugly. I'm, I'm sick of it. Do something about it. 
And then well, how the book's laid out is Habakkuk says something, God responds to him. He says something, God responds to him. So God's response to him, uh, summed up in, in the next section, summed up in verses 6 and 7, says, uh, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetus people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves, and they promote their own honor. Now, Habakkuk cries out to God, says, God, the world is evil. Do something about it. And God's response to Habakkuk is, don't worry. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to let the evil people win. What? <laughs> the Babylonians, they're, like, God, you, you make these claims about them. They're, they're evil. They're ruthless they cease, they, they, they take dwellings that aren't their own. They're, they're constantly going out and pursuing and just for no reason, like going and imputing judgment and stuff on all of these people. So Habakkuk's prayer is getting answered here. Like I look around in the nation around me and the people of Israel, there's evil that's rampant. God, do something about it. And God says, I'm going to. I'm going to send the Babylonians to pronounce judgment on you through uh, overtaking your cities and carrying you off into exile where you're strangers not in your own land anymore. And again, Habakkuk goes, time out. Not what I asked for. Now, if you think about it critically, it's exactly what Habakkuk asked for. God, do something about the evil that I see in the world around me. And then God says, I'm going to. And Habakkuk says, not like that. So then as we move on to the next section, in, in 12 and 13, Habakkuk then mourns that Babylon's even more evil than the people of Israel. Why, why are they the ones that get to judge? Look with me in uh, verses 12 and 13. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You'll live forever. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. But here's the thing that, that holds them up. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. <clears throat> you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And this, friends, is where we encounter one of our first problems and it is baked into the sin condition that all of us carry as human beings. We have a real propensity and tendency to judge morality from our point of view. So Habakkuk's hold up here is, God, they're more evil than me. Why do they get to, to triumph? God, they're, they're worse than me. Yeah, I might not be great. I might not be the most put together person, but surely I'm better than this person. Why are they the ones that get to, to overtake us? Why are they the ones that get to win the day? <clears throat> and here's what he's doing. And we, like I said, we all have the same tendency to do it. We begin to judge ourselves with how we think God should, should execute his judgment. But what this fails to take into account is that every single person, except the uh, exception of Jesus, every single person who has ever lived 
has the same need. Maybe not desire, but the same need. And that need is that we are, we talked about it in Colossians, we are alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We are disconnected from the author of life. Our sin and our disobedience, our sin nature, disconnects us from God, the giver of all good things. And our need is to be reconciled to God. Our need is to be brought back into right relationship with the lover of our souls. It reminds me of the, the verse from the prophet Isaiah that talks about like what Habakkuk's doing here is he's trying to lay out his case for righteousness and, and going, God, you can't look on unrighteousness. You can't look, you, you can't look at evil. Um, but that then assumes in his saying that, that the people of Israel, that Habakkuk himself is not evil, that he doesn't have the same propensities inside of his heart. One of Amanda and I's favorite... Uh, uh, singer-songwriters as of late is Chris Renzema. And he's got a new song on uh, one of his newest albums, uh, his newest album called um, uh, Family Tree. And it talks about the human condition that gets carried from person to person to person. And uh, the song in the verses talks about how... Um, how, like, I see all of this evil around me. I see, uh, they, they're, they're calling out, not by name, but the, like, I see these mega uh, church pastors, they pull up to preach about justice and mercy, and they're getting out of these luxury cars. And I see people engaging in brokenness by lying and cheating and all of this stuff. And then I, towards the end of the song, um, what they say is, but I have to realize that that very same impulse lives in me too. I need the work of Jesus just as much as the next person. The people of Israel needed a Messiah. The people of Babylon needed a Messiah. We in this room need the work of Jesus. People who are far from God, who are evil, need the work of Jesus. So the moment you begin comparing is the moment you missed what God is trying to do in and through us entirely. God says, I'm going to do something about it. Habakkuk says, no, I don't, I don't want you to do it that way. And then God, in uh, chapter 2, we'll, we'll go, I'll just go through it really quickly, pronounces judgment on the people who are engaging in this evil. And he gives it in, in the form of these woes. And he says, woe to him who piles up stolen good and makes himself wealthy by extortion. Woe to him who builds house, uh, his house by unjust gains, who takes things unfairly. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Woe to him that gives a drink to his neighbor in order to get them drunk and take advantage of them. Woe to, the, woe to, <coughs> woe to him who tries to worship idols. God pronounces judgment on all these people engaging in these particular practices, almost as if to remind Habakkuk that, like, I haven't forgotten about you entirely. I see the people who are mourning. I'm here, and I'm with you. And then it finishes out with Habakkuk uh, moving to a place of acceptance and moving to a place of going, okay, God, I don't understand. I don't understand what this judgment means. I don't understand why the evil gets to win the day. I don't understand why you're going to use the evil to pronounce judgment on the little bit less evil, but still evil. And, and But what he lands at is, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity. 
to come on the nation invading us. And he goes on to say that like things might be ugly for a little while, but God, I'm trusting that you are working on behalf of your people. <coughs> that you've promised a Messiah, that you're going to send that Messiah, and that Messiah is going to come do the things that you said they would do. This is where we turn our corner this morning to the Advent season. Because like I talked about at the beginning, church history, Advent was used for a couple of reasons. It was used to look back and remember the arrival of Jesus and what the Messiah entering into the story of humanity means for us. But it was also used to look forward to the coming return of that Messiah. The first in, in the first Advent of, G, of Jesus, he dealt with the punishment of sin and the evil in the world. Like I said, that's only 50% of the equation because we look forward to the second advent of Jesus where he promises to deal with the uh, effects of sin and evil. <coughs> and so that's where our story merges with uh, the prophet Habakkuk this morning. And here's what I think in, in the book of Habakkuk, here's what I think he says to those among us who are mourning or mourning the evil that we see. Number one, when you mourn, you are not alone. When you mourn, you are not alone. And one of the things that I don't know uh, about you, but I'm constantly battling with in my life is this idea of feeling alone when I'm identifying particular evils and injustices in the world. And that is a, brother and sister, I, I, I want to take that weight off of you because that is a crushing reality when you're like, the world is evil. And then you begin to look at yourself and ask yourself in the mirror this question, like, am I the only one seeing this? Am I the only one who cares about these things? And if nothing else this morning, if for some reason you you we can't look around this room and go, no, there's a plurality of people in this room who are carrying that weight. We belong to a community of reconcilers. If for nothing else, if you, if you want to ignore that entirely, you can at least fall back on that, that back in the Old Testament, there was a prophet who looked around at the world around him and saw the same exact thing. Habakkuk reminds us as he notices the evil around him and he mourns over it that we do not mourn in isolation. We are not alone. <clears throat> because that's, that's crushing. You, you cannot bear under that weight. I remember one time, I was in Columbia City, I was a missions and outreach pastor at First Church, and I, was, uh, I do a lot of like, podcasts and audiobooks on, like, I'll run home to grab lunch or whatever, pop a, an AirPod in and listen. And I had happened to go through the McDonald's drive-thru this day, and I was listening to a, a podcast about, uh, I don't remember what it was, um, but we engaged really heavily at First Church, uh, I mean, tens of thousands of dollars a year, with an organization called Destiny Rescue. And Destiny Rescue went into uh, East Asia specifically, and we're beginning to spread out all across the world, and rescue uh, women and children from the evils of sex trafficking. And uh, I was listening to a podcast, and so I just talked to one of our global partners that was like in the slums, in the red light district, doing really, really heavy work. 
confronting the evil in the world around him. And so I, I had just got done uh, off the phone with him, and I was listening to this podcast that talked about like the hunger crisis. And then I, I remember reading this article. I got stuff sent to me all the time uh, about like we need clean water. And, and so it began to mount on me, and I just remember breaking down in the McDonald's drive through of like, God, there's too much. There's too much evil. I can't possibly bear this alone. And what a, what a laughable thought. Because of course I can't bear it alone. I'm not being asked to. The prophet Habakkuk reminds us this morning that we're not alone. And that is of great hope for us. Because we don't have to bear the weight of the atrocities and the evil in the world around us by ourselves. We are being invited, invited into, being ministers of reconciliation, uh, doing what we can do as a part of a faithful covenant community. And that's where we all come into play. <clears throat> regardless of how bad things get, regardless of the evils that we see, we are knit together through the work of Jesus on the cross and his subsequent resurrection. You do not have to bear the weight of the world on your own. <clears throat> We are not alone when we look around and we mourn the evils around us. Second thing is, the people uh, who are mourning, God sees you. We are not only connected to this community, but we're connected to the author of life, the creator of life, the giver of all good things. I talked about in uh, chapter 2 how uh, God pronounces a series of judgment through a series of woes to people who were engaging actively in these injustices, stealing, unjust gains, bloodshed, all of this sort of stuff. And what this communicates is both that God is against, God is against those who are propagating injustices and evil. And simultaneously, by God being against the people engaging that evil, God is for the people who are on the receiving end of it. You are not forgotten about. God sees you. God sees those who have had their backs broken at the hand of greed and exhortion, been taken advantage of. God sees the one who have been robbed and treated unjustly. God sees the ones who, whose blood have been shed for the earthly conquest of power. God sees the one who have been exploited. God sees those who have been let down by the empty promises of divine comfort from idols. Fill in the blank, whatever that is in your life. God sees you. And in fact, Jesus, which is the advent that we're looking forward to, Jesus speaks exactly to this in his Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God is close to the brokenhearted. God is close to the mourning. Like one of the things I hear often is, that doesn't make, like you see atrocities, you see evils. And one of the questions that logically gets brought up is where was God when blank? Where was God when the school shooting happened? Where was God when Israel attacked uh, Hamas and when Hamas attacked Israel? Where was God when this broken marriage happened? Where was God? You fill in the blank. That's, a, that's not an unfair question. 
And I don't pretend that, that like religious platitudes are going to uh, fill in the gaps for those people. But here's what I do know. That God loves his creation enough that he did not cast us off in the midst of heartache and evil, but he loves us so much that he entered into the evil and bore it on his back himself. Jesus is so acutely close to the broken, close to the mourning, that he took the evil of the world and he became the active recipient of it. Our God cares so much about the evil going on that he chose to subject himself to it. That's where God was, making all things new. So you're not alone when you mourn. God sees you when you mourn. And because of Jesus, because of the work of Jesus, because we have the benefit of being on the other end of the work of Jesus as opposed to the prophet here. But because of Jesus, there is hope for the morning regardless of how bad things seem. I remember getting lunch at Tacos de Nieves one time talking with Sam, and we were talking about that reality, that like the worst is behind us. Yeah, things are going to be bad. I'm not, I don't want to gloss over that. There's going to be some evil and injustice, but like that pales in comparison. That pales in comparison to life with God. So regardless of how bad things get right now, because of the work of Jesus, we can rest assured that the best is ahead of us. Chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. This is Habakkuk talking once again and, and kind of resolving himself. I heard uh, and uh, my head and my heart pounded. <coughs> my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. So he's saying like, I'm, I'm unresolved in all of this, but I'm going to choose to wait that you're going to, at some point, judge those who are doing evil in the world. Then he says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, yet, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. There's only a few farmers in the room. So it might not mean a lot to like the pastors and the engineers and, and the city officials amongst us. This is a pronouncement that things can be as bad as they can possibly be. When you're in an agrarian economy to say there is no harvest, there is no livestock, there is no cattle, there is nothing going on for me here on the earth. And what does Habakkuk say? Even when nothing is going well for me, even when there is no prospect of hope because there's no olive crop, there's no grapes on the vine, there is nothing. It's barren. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Why? 
Why can we do that as Jesus people? Because because of the work of Jesus, regardless of how bad things get, we have a God that willingly subjected himself to the evil, that willingly took on scorn and shame, that willingly entered into the human narrative to redeem what was broken. And because of that, things are only going to get better in the long run. The, uh, things might be bad. Sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Things might be bad now, but on the other side of this is life with God forever, never, never. Because of the work of the cross, the worst is behind us. So if today you feel a little bit like Habakkuk, and uh, you're in a place and you look around and you go, the world just seems evil and it just breaks my heart. The invitation is to trust in God. Say, I, I get things are bad, but there is a time coming when God will make all things new. And so as we begin our Advent journey today, that's why we're going to remember the Lord's table. That we have a God who's close to the broken, who comforts the mourning, who's with us in every type of affliction and heartache. And that's exemplified for us beautifully through the work of the cross. So I'm going to invite the ladies to come and... Uh, we practice uh, what's called an open table here at Connection. So if you've uh, confessed uh, your love and need and devotion to the person of Jesus, you don't need to be a member uh, of Connection. You're welcome to come and receive. Um, uh, when I pray, I'm going to ask you guys to stand and um, come receive the elements during this song. Hold on to them. We'll take them together as a faith family uh, to remind ourselves that first point that we talked about, that we're not alone inside of our mourning, but that uh, we have this community and we see God with us. So uh, at any point during this song, come grab the elements, hold them together, and uh, we'll partake of them together. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you and praise you that regardless of how things seem, that there is hope out in the future. Regardless of how grim the prospects seem, that you are working to establish and, uh, and rule in your kingdom. God, you're good, you're merciful. Help us trust in that goodness and mercy. God, you're, you're just your loving. Help us trust in that justice and love. We praise you for the work of the cross. I ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.